Let us pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the fact that you are three times holy. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth are filled with your glory. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth shows forth his handiwork. We are grateful this morning that we are able to come to this place of gathering as a, as a church to worship you in spirit and in truth. Asking this morning, dear Lord, that as we sit humbly at your feet, you will speak to our hearts and teach us the wonderful principles of your eternal word. Thank you, Lord, for everyone that has made it this morning. And we pray that everyone, everyone that comes through these doors, whether in this service on the one or in the one to follow, we pray, Father, that they will come with hearts prepared by you and that your Holy Spirit will teach us the wonderful principles that we must learn. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being part of your family this morning. We thank you for the eternal hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we do not, do not have to sorrow or be afraid like those who are perishing. We have the hope of eternal life. Not only of eternal life, but of abundant life and a meaningful life when we are in you. We thank you, Lord, for this day once again. Pray that you will bless it, bless our service, bless our church, bless our families and every individual that is part of this congregation. We pray that your Holy Spirit will hover over us today and control this service. May your, your presence and your angels hover over us today and give us your shelter and protection. We commit all these things into your hands today. We pray that you continue to be with all of us, with the nation, with the country, with the president, the vice president, the governor, the mayor, everyone that is in authority, that we may be able, they may be able to govern properly and that we may be able to live in peace. That's what you command us in your word and we pray that you help us to do it more often. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to communicate and commune with you on a daily basis because Jesus made it possible through the sacrifice of his precious, precious body and his wonderful, precious blood that was shed abundantly on the cross for our sin. Thank you that today we have access into the holiest of all. And we are thankful that every time we come, you receive us. Thank you, Lord, once again. Speak to our hearts now as we begin. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. 
I'm going to begin uh, reading from verse 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. This morning I would like to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, but not as Savior. We did that in the past Sundays. Today I would like to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord. The Lord. Paul the Apostle prayed for the Ephesians. He prayed for the Lord to dwell in their hearts abundantly. In the previous chapter of Ephesians, and you don't need to turn to that, I'll quote a verse to you. He says that he prayed that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, in other words, with all the believers, what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That was the Apostle Paul's prayer, very different from our prayers, I'm afraid. Many times you just pray for things down here. Okay? And there's nothing wrong to pray for things down here, but we must learn to pray for things up there, to pray for things that will happen in our lives. My prayer is that the Lord will help you, all of you in our church, to have a greater hunger and thirst for His Word, to know Him more. Like the Apostle Paul said, to know Him, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto even his death. Okay, so we need to learn to develop an intimacy with the Lord because after all, we do not come here uh, to uh, be part of a religion. We come here to be part of a relationship, our relationship, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And that's what Christianity is. It's not a religion. It's a personal relationship okay so I trust this morning you came with that in mind in John chapter 14 verse 23 the Lord says that he who does my will the father will love him and love him and I will love him uh, love him and we will come and dwell in him okay uh, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior you open the door of your heart and to allow him to enter and dwell there forever okay uh, but it is not only a savior that you must receive him a lot of people say yeah oh yeah I believe he's the savior wonderful and you need to okay uh, but also you must accept him as your Lord your Lord okay your master uh, which means you give him all the rights to your life I know that's kind of hard to uh, 
swallow in our society because everybody's so gung-ho on their own personal rights. But when you are a Christian, you are a true believer, your rights belong to Him because He bought you with His blood. He paid very dearly for you. So we belong to Him who purchased us with His blood. And we are not His slaves. We are His servants. We are His children. We are His, but we are free. Because the Lord said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Those who claim their rights are slaves of themselves. And there's no worse tyrant in this life than yourself. Remember that. When somebody tells you, oh, I'm independent, what they're telling you is, I'm dependent on the in. And the worst dictator that we all have is ourselves. The Lord says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So by becoming a follower of Jesus, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are freer than any free person in this world because they are honestly, they are slaves of themselves, their sin, the devil, the world. And that's why they do the things that they do. Okay? Now... <clears throat> When we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord, then all our rights belong to Him. He comes to our, in, in, in us through His Holy Spirit, not just to dwell, but to redesign your life and mine. Renewing it. When the Lord enters your heart, He not only cleanses it, but He gives it a new design from top to bottom. That's why it says, if a man or woman being Christ, he's a what? New creature. New creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God is in the business of transforming lives. To make them like Him. Okay? Like the Lord Jesus. Uh, he gives a new design from top to bottom. Not just in word, but in deed and in truth. He changes your thoughts. He changes your philosophy. He changes your works. He changes your behavior. He changes your emotions. He, ch he changes your values. What was valuable before, now it's no longer valuable. And what wasn't important before, now it is. See? In ways, he does those, those, all those things in ways that seemed impossible before. Okay? Now, what, what was a disaster before, now it's a delight. So that's a, that would be a nice message too. From disaster to delight. Right? So, first of all, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of all the externals. He's Lord of all the externals. As Lord Jesus touches both the internal and the externals of your life. He is the Lord of your relationships. He's the Lord of your works. He's the Lord of your circumstances. He's the Lord of your body. Where the proof of faith and the practical life meet. First of all, He's the Lord of your relationships. Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians reveals much about relationships. Look at the verse, three verses again in Ephesians 4, our text this morning. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. See, he was in prison. 
The Apostle Paul was in jail when he wrote this. Not because he was a criminal, but because he was a faithful preacher, a faithful missionary, a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's in a Roman prison because of that. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I implore you, in other words, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. See, the Lord called us all. Many are called, he says, but few are chosen. Because not everybody, not everybody responds to that call. The Lord called us. And he, had, he has given us a holy calling. And we need to wor walk worthy of that calling. And I'm afraid many Christians bring shame to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by their behavior. See? Not glory. Shame. Because they cower away. Or they're unfaithful in their daily lives. And we're going to be talking about that today. So I hope you uh, fasten your seatbelts before we take off. Okay? He says, walk worthy with the calling with, with which you were called. With all, look, look at this, lowliness. That means humility. Humility. Lowliness and gentleness. Okay? With long-suffering. Patience. Bearing with one another in love. Are there people that really get you upset all the time? Are there are people like that in my life too. Well, that's when we need to exercise that kind of bearing with one another in love. When somebody like that comes close to you, many times I have to prepare myself mentally and I say, there he comes. Or there he comes. There he, or there she is. You know? and, but you know what? We need to learn to say, Lord, give me grace. Grace to be able to deal with that person in a proper manner. And with my bombastic personality, that is not always easy. No, you don't true talk. <laughs> Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit, what we must all strive for is unity. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is unity. Where the, the spirit is absent, there is division. Because that's the work of the flesh. We need to have unity. Many times you have to let things go in order to keep the unity. Okay? That's the kind of thing we need to be, and that, that requires humility. When, you're, 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 when you have humility, when you're humble, doesn't mean you're weak. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Okay? So here we see that the Apostle Paul exhorts them to endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What is the first word the Lord told the disciples when he resurrected from the dead in the upper room? Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And peace is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we see here, I have a question. Is Christ Lord of your relationships? How do you deal with others? Huh? Are they controlled, your relationship controlled by humility? Look at Christ's example and see if your attitude is similar to his. In Philippians chapter 2, which is the next book after Ephesians, in chapter 2, in uh, verse 3, 
the Apostle Paul, still in prison, in prison, okay? He says, let nothing be done, in chapter 2, verse 3 of Philippians, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. All that is pride. And pride is the devil's sin. Okay? But in lowliness of mind, that's humility, let each esteem others better than himself or herself. In other words, value the person and respect the person. Let each of you look, look out not only for his, his own interests, but also for the interests of others. When you reach that point, you begin to exercise the spirit of Christ. I've heard of churches that split because they could not agree what color to paint on walls in the sanctuary. It's, that's absolutely stupid and wicked. Some, sometimes people call me and say, Pastor, can we do, do Go ahead. You want to paint the walls pink? Paint them pink. I don't care. Those are not important issues. Okay? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Okay? The next quality in Paul's list is gentleness. Are you gentle with others? Are you kind? Sometimes people can be so unkind, even so-called Christians. Because the fact that we're Christians doesn't mean that we are already liberated from the flesh. The flesh is still there. And acts up if you don't control it by the Holy Spirit, by the Word. That's why it says in the book of Proverbs, a soft answer turns away wrath. You ever heard of the saying, it takes two to tango? Yeah. Somebody starts screaming, don't scream back. Don't repay evil for evil. That's going to end up in a fight. Somebody starts screaming, speak softly. Nobody can fight with himself. They need somebody else to be able to fight with. So you just turn away wrath by, by your, your humble, your soft answer. How do you respond? For example, to your children. Sometimes I see parents, they react in anger. Now, children need discipline. Yes, I grant that. But do not, how can I say it? Do not, dump all your anger on your child. Your child is not guilty that you are angry. Oh, but he irritates me. Fine. But you choose to be angry. He made me so angry. No, nobody makes you angry. You make yourself angry. Accept and assume responsibility. We always have the tendency to uh, blame somebody else. But we are truly sons of Adam and Eve, aren't we? See? Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent had nobody to blame. We pass the buck, don't we? We're very good at that. So how do you respond to your children? Do not provoke your children. Do you know what it means to provoke your children to wrath? It means you are raising angry children. Why? Because you're constantly angry. So the fruit, the 
not fall too far from the tree. How do you respond to your boss at work? How do you respond to your co-workers at your job? How do you respond to your neighbors? How do you respond to your wife? How do you respond to your husband? Those are all questions that we all must ask ourselves. I've caught myself many times reacting the wrong way with somebody, especially members of the family, because we have familiarity. Right? And I have to, I made a purpose in my heart. And I confess it to you two weeks ago. I decided I am going to stop getting angry and upset with the one person. And it's working. You know what I asked the Lord? Lord, give me kindness, compassion for that person. Once you start seeing that, once you start feeling that, or seeing it that way, your anger dissipates. Okay? So, um, you only have to observe the Lord's example whose soft cancer calmed the spirits in a potentially explosive situation. Remember the story of Martha and Mary? In, uh, uh, when, when Jesus went to their house and Martha's in the kitchen all huffed up preparing the meal and Mary is sitting at his feet listening to him and she comes in and she says oh Lord tell her to come and help me what did the Lord do? Mary get up go to the kitchen and help your sister that's not what he did he went right straight to the root of the problem he went to Martha, and he said, Martha, Martha. The, the fact that he just repeated her name, Martha, Martha, tells me that he was talking to her in a calm tone of voice. Martha, Martha, you're too encumbered, too overwhelmed with problems. Mary has chosen the best that could be chosen, and that will never be taken away from that diffused the situation. A soft answer turns away wrath. Hmm? Patience. How many of you have prayed for patience? What a big mistake. Never pray for patience. Because the Bible says tribulation works patience. In other words, suffering and problems work patience. So, pray for patience, you're liable to open the door to a lot of problems. You say, what do we do? Pray for grace. Okay? Problems will come anyway, so pray for grace. Don't invite for more problems than you need. Patience, long-suffering. Long-suffering means that you're long-winded. It takes, you a, 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 it takes a long time. You hear people say, I have a short fuse. Well, how about lengthening it? Okay? Long-suffering, love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Because love does not nitpick at that thing all the time, your, your defects. Love says, okay, it doesn't excuse it, but it says, okay, that's okay. I don't see that, you know. I love you. And it's not just a word. It's the way you feel towards the person, the way you treat that person. Love, diligence, unity, peace, and so many other things. Paul, Paul's list goes on. 
if your relations with others have Christ as Lord, then they will have those qualities. If not, there is a place in your heart in which Christ is not included. So he's the Lord of your relationship. Secondly, he's Lord of your work. Is there a dichotomy between what goes on in your life on Sunday and what goes on the rest of the week? Is Jesus Lord in your place of work and in your day of rest as well? Look at chapter 4, where it says there, in Ephesians 4, our text. Look at verse 4. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in, the, in one hope of your calling. Okay? And look at verse 21 of the same chapter. It says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And you have learned the truth. Apply it in your life. Many times God calls you to for certain areas of service and gives you specific gifts. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. And he himself, meaning the Lord, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors. Your Bible may say pastors and teachers. That's wrong. It's pastor teacher. It's the same gift. Okay? Same gift. And what do you base that on, pastor? My Greek knowledge. And my knowledge of the Greek text. I might not be a Greek scholar, but I'm Greek. And that's my language. And it says pastor teacher. It's one gift, and that's my gift, by the way. Okay? You see, the Lord gives different gifts for different reasons, for different types of service. So uh, just as he gifted some to be apostles and prophets, so he gifted others to be artists or plumbers. He gifted some to be evangelists and others to be electricians, some to be pastors and teachers, and others to be bakers or doctors. Everybody's not the same. I don't like it when in a church everybody tries, you know, to make everybody do the same thing. You don't force people to do something. The Lord gave different people different gifts. Let me uh, say this. If the Lord Jesus Christ is not Lord in your life, is not Lord from Monday through Saturday, okay, there is not much benefit for him to be Lord and King on Sunday. All right? Always remember that. Always remember. Remember, remember that. Now also, he's the Lord of our circumstances. You ever hear a lot of people say, well, how are you doing? Well, under the circumstances... Listen, I believe that we Christians need to be over the circumstances. Amen? Don't let circumstances overwhelm you. I can do all things through Christ. Don't live in defeat. Another external area the Lord must control is your attitude toward circumstances. And that's maturity. Look what it says here in verse 12. Why did the Lord give 
prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastor teachers. Why? Look at the purpose in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? Who are the saints? Who? Could have fooled me. No, no one kidding. For the equipping of the saints. And the word equipping there is the same word as it's used in Matthew when the Lord comes by and finds the apostles mending their nets. It's the same word. It means they are equipping their nets for fishing. Because a net with big holes in it, the fish go right through, right? They're no good. So they got to mend it. They got to equip them. Well, the Lord gave these men in the church to equip the saints, to equip you, the believer, okay, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We're supposed to work and edify one another. Don't come to church just to get. Come to church to give. And I'm not talking about money only. What are you doing for this church? What are you contributing? Where are you helping? Ask yourself, Lord, what can I do? How can I contribute to help somebody? Nowadays, we can't do much because of the situation. But you know what? We ask every, every service after the second service, we ask people to stay to clean the church to leave it ready for next week. And very few people volunteer. Most of them don't even listen to the bloom. They leave. But this is your church. It's not my church. It's your church. What do you do to contribute? You should see our kids, our children helping out. Last week, I saw a couple of them working out in the garden. And others in here cleaning. <clears throat> and uh, some adults too. And I, I praise the Lord for that. But we need more people like that. We have Brother Billy playing the piano. We have people up in the sound booth. We have ladies in the kitchen. Pretty soon, Lord willing, we're going to have the nursery open the day after election. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until when? Look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know what that spells in one word? Maturity. I'm afraid many times, I know the Lord told us to be like children, but that's talking about being innocent and accepting and believing. It's not telling us to be immature. It tells us to be adults, to be mature. Amen? No, not in here, the name men here. You're not in agreement, are you? Does the Lord want you to be mature? Then work at it. And don't get offended about any little thing. Oh, somebody, so, so and so said this to me. Who cares? Get a life. Okay? Don't be so touchy. this country we have become very touchy can't say a thing without somebody getting offended oh get it all get over it yeah you are a feta eating Greek amen and it's so delicious I'm a few other things too amen I always say if what they say about you is not true 
Don't worry about it. And if it is true, well, you know what? It's the truth. If it's good, keep at it. If it's bad, change. Amen? All right. So, the Lord wants us to be mature, to face the external, to face the circumstances. You cannot be tossed. When you're mature, you cannot be tossed to and fro and carried about with this or that. One moment you're up, and the other moment you're down. One moment you say yes, another moment you say no, or vice versa. One moment you're happy, the next moment you're sad. Like children, under the circumstances, never above them, and like puppets controlled by others. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. This is a great portion of Scripture, so practical. This is the practical part of the epistle. Look at verse 14. That we should, why, are we need to, why do we need to be mature? Here's the reason why. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children. See, it's not me. It's the, the Word of God. And what are children? Tossed to and fro. What does it mean, tossed to and fro? What does it mean to be tossed to and fro? Does anybody know? What? You go from one side to the other, like a, like a, like a boat in, a way, in the waves, like this, tossed to and fro. Okay? Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Some people, they, uh, you know, hear this doctrine, somebody tells them this, and they run that way. Somebody else comes and tells them something different, they run that way. You need to know what you believe. Okay? You need to know where you're at. I heard this, uh, somebody told me the other day that there's some people, that there's a woman that is a Pentecostal and she's insisting, okay, on the tongues and this and that. And I'm going to tell you something about Pentecostals, okay. Some of them might be saved, but some of them are dem demonic, okay. And most of the, uh, my, my, my experience with Pentecostals, this is, this is the key of it. Women are bossy, husbands are either wimps or unsaved. And the children out of control. Okay? You need to know what you believe. Tongues are not for today. And one of these days I'm going to give you a seminar on tongues. Why? Eh? Yeah? You want it? I'd be, I'd, I'd be glad to. Pay me overtime. Now. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> yes, an offering, right. No, I'd be glad to do it. We might even uh, try to do it on a Sunday after service. I don't care. We'll sit here like a Sunday school type thing. I'll teach you a seminar on tongues. Okay, why they're not for today? Are you interested to find out? How many of you will be interested? See you then. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. See? That's called growth. Christian spiritual growth. Okay? If Christ is Lord of your circumstances, all the waters about you might not be calm, but you will be. You will be. Remember the Lord? in the Sea of Galilee, 
There was a storm going on, and he was sleeping in the back of the boat. The sea wasn't calm, but he was. Not only he was calm, but he calmed it. Now, you cannot calm anything, but at least you will be calmed. Amen? Don't let things overwhelm you. Oh, coronavirus! I know there is a virus. I get it. We have a sister here who lost family to virus. She herself was sick in the past with the virus. She was sick. The other sister there, sick with the virus. I know there is a virus. But please, so there is a flu. More people die from the flu than they do from virus, uh, coronavirus. Don't let, even, even because there is a virus, don't let it terrorize you. Live in victory. Jesus is your protector. And if Jesus is not your protector, you can put 150 masks on you. You'll still die. And not too many people die from coronavirus, let me tell you, in comparison to other things. Okay? I'm saying that why? Because I, uh, I'm trying, I'm living in denial. No, no, I'm saying that in order to encourage you. Don't live in defeat. That's my job after all, isn't it? As a pastor, to encourage you. Amen? Who are you going to believe, me or the politicians? Or I should say, will you believe God or the politicians? Don't panic. Be strong. And what other testimony do you have? Thank the Lord in our church, since this whole thing started, and I've been saying this a few times, not one person died. I know some people lost relatives. I understand that. And, and my heart goes out to them. But not one member of this church has died. Not one. And not only that, but ever since we opened in, in June to this day, it's exactly how many months? Four months. How many have gotten sick since we started? Shouldn't we praise the Lord for that? What more proof do you need that he's stronger than any virus? Yeah. We need to be care careful? Of course. I don't deny that. But then let's not go overboard. All right? Now, <clears throat> the Lord wants us to be and realize that he's the one who controls everything. He controls the winds, the waves. He controls your circumstances as, as well. And that includes the virus. Okay? He's the Lord of your circumstances. He's the Lord of your body. The church is the body of Christ, for sure. When its members grow and mature and leave behind their children's habits with all their childishness, the body of Christ grows and develops, functioning as a lubricated machine. Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. We grow in all things in Christ. Verse 16. From whom, that is from Christ, the whole body, that is the church, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You know what I'm doing right now? I am doing my part as member of this body. I am edifying you. I am encouraging you. I am teaching you. I am exhorting you. Yes, I'm daring you to live the Christian life. That's my job. 
Okay? So now you need to do your job as part of the body of Christ. What is it that I can do to help the body of Christ? According to your gift, according to your means, the Lord expects you to do that. But, you know, God is not concerned just for the church. He is also concerned for your physical body. After all, if your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't he be concerned for it as well? Okay. How's your temple? I'm trying to take care of mine. I've been in disobedience for too many years. Started Weight Watchers, and I'm walking now. Yesterday, Ivan would be so proud of me. I walked 16 laps around the park. That's four miles. And the day before, I walked 16, and no, 15. And the day before, I walked 15. And the day before, I walked 15. And I've lost 30 pounds. Why? Because I want to be healthy. And I want my body to be well taken care of. I want to be a good testimony. And I want to, I want to be a good example to others. You don't know me. You didn't know me back in 1992. When we first started the church, I was 303 pounds. I could not walk from here to the corner without my back killing me. Okay? How much, how much does he weigh? 60. And what about her? You don't know? How, many, how, mu how much? It had to be a little more than that. How much, how much does Josias weigh? How much do you weigh? Oh, you're too fat. Um, what I'm trying to say is I lost, I lost a whole person. 80 pounds I lost. Okay? It's possible. What am I doing now? Am I making somebody feel uncomfortable? No. What I'm doing is I'm encouraging. I'm encouraging you. You can do it. Why? Because the Lord cares for your body. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be healthy. He cares about every, every little detail. Now, let me ask you this. Is Christ on the throne of your heart and life? Or are there other things that control you? The body could be a traitor when Christ is not on the throne. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, wouldn't you want him to live in, the marble, in a marble temple rather than in a mud hut? Hmm? If that is the case, then your body is what needs to go to the altar of sacrifice. What did the Apostle Paul tell the Roman believers? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, we need to give on the altar of sacrifice both our bodies, our minds, our all for, for the Lord. So see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of the external, but he's also the Lord of, the, of all the internal. Achieving control of the external is difficult. Now the key is constancy, 
and which comes with maturity, just like an adult has more control than a child, when you mature internally, you will be able to control the external better and naturally. And therefore, the key to have Jesus as Lord of the external is to have him on the throne of the internal first. That is the mind, the emotions, and will. Okay? First of all, he's the Lord of your mind. Paul emphasizes the importance of Christ being Lord of the mind. Look again in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Go to verse 17. Please. Look what it says there. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. See, this world walks in the futility of their mind, their imaginations, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's the filthiness of the world. So the Lord, the Apostle Paul here emphasizes the importance of Christ being the Lord of the mind. Our minds need to be renewed. They need to be thoroughly immersed in the Word of God because the Word of God is like the detergent that will cleanse our minds. Okay? Notice that the, the harsh words that Paul uses here to describe a sinful heart, okay? He uses words like futility, darkened, alienated, ignorance, blindness, insensitivity, given over to immorality, working all uncleanness, greediness. Not a heart Jesus would want to dwell in. Now look at verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. And let me tell you this, those of you who've been coming to church for a long time. You have not so learned Christ from this pulpit. Okay? If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, in whom is the truth? He's the truth. Okay? That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See, the, the Christian life is not a whole bunch of don'ts. It's also a whole bunch of do's. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Okay? Like a filthy and smelly garment, you must put off your old man. Throw it in the garbage. And uh, with a washed and clean mind, you must put on the new garment, the new you, that were created in Christ Jesus. Now, he's the Lord of your mind. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of your emotions. Paul speaks specifically about how the decision to put aside the old man and put on the new affects every area of your life, including your emotions. Look at verse 25. Therefore, put in a way lying. Now, I know people lie, but it's so sad when I hear somebody who calls himself or herself a Christian lie. That's very unbecoming, okay, and disconcerting. Put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbors. If we are children of the truth, what must, must we speak? 
Sometimes or all the time. Even if it hurts, speak the truth. Okay? But we are members of one another. In other words, if I lie to you, you know what I'm doing? I'm lying to myself. And I'm lying to God. Okay? And look at verse 26. Now, I know this doesn't apply to anybody here. Be angry and do not sin. I know nobody here gets angry, so I don't know why I'm even talking about this. Okay? Do not let the wrath, uh, uh, I should say, do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. You know when you get angry, what you do? You're opening the door wide open for the devil to come in and do disaster. So what does it mean to be angry and do not sin? Well, you're angry, you have some righteous indignation. You see something that is wrong and that gets you upset. But it doesn't mean that you start ranting and raving because something is wrong. But you don't agree with that and you rebuke that. Not only anger, but look at something else. Okay? It says, verse 28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has, who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that he may impart grace to the hearers. Okay? All en masse here for slave drivers. How many of you read Uncle Tom's Cabin? If you haven't read it, it's a wonderful book. And unlike, beside, in spite of what they say nowadays, it's not a racist book. On the contrary, it, 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 it attacks slavery and the hypocrisy of the people living in the northern states. They rebuked the southern states for, for slavery, and they were just as slave drivers as the, as the south. Okay? The, the woman who wrote it, wrote it, Henrietta Beecher Stowe, was a Christian. And she wrote the book in order to advocate against slavery. So it's a beautiful book, and it's a great piece of literature. And you, you saw there a character called Simon Legree? Yeah. He was a slave driver, wasn't he? Now, the Apostle Paul unmasks four of them here, four slave drivers. The first one is lying. Every time you lie, then you're going to need a hundred lies to cover for that lie. Okay? The second one is anger or wrath. The third one is theft. And the last one is corrupt words. Four implacable slave drivers able to assassinate your character and damage your testimony. Your old man wants you to give your emotions free reign. Yeah, do what you want. It's okay to lie. Or I have the right to be angry. Or I'm entitled to do this. So I am justified to possess it. It's the principle of the thing. I can cheat the government. Well, principle. You're lying. Yeah. Or that person needed to be put in his or her place. Christ is Lord of your emotions, they will be under his control and you will speak the truth even if it costs you something. Okay? You'll control your temper even if they wrong you. You ever hear people say, I lost my temper? Don't lose it. It's a great commodity. Don't lose your temper. 
one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is temperance, which means what? Self-control. Okay. You'll provide for your own people, your own family, in an honest way, honestly, without any shady deals. Years ago, I had an accountant, and I used to work in Wall Street, who did my taxes. This guy, and I was, I was unsaved at the time, and this guy would lie in my income tax, so I would get more money. I got saved three years after, and he comes to me the, the, you know, the first uh, year after we had to do the taxes. I was already a year saved, because I got saved in January. So by the next February of the, the following year, do my taxes, and he says to me, uh, well, we're going to do this and that. I said, no, you're not going to do that. What do you mean? You're going to put the truth. But you're going to get less money. I don't care. You're putting down the truth. You know, you know what happened? He dumped me as a client. Praise God. Praise God. You know what I do at night? I sleep with a clean conscience. It ain't worth it. Yeah. <clears throat> No shady deals. You'll control also your mouth. Be careful how you speak. Some people sometimes say, I catch them. And they go, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, don't be an idolater. You're sorry because you got caught? God hears you anyway, even if I'm not there. God hears you. God doesn't need me to hear you. So be careful at all times. Control your mouth and heal and, 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 and will not speak. You will not speak dirty or defamatory words. And you will use your tongue to heal wounds, not to provoke them. Amen? Everything that we say, we must say it for edification. That's what the exhortation of the Apostle Paul is here. And the last thing is the Lord is the Lord of your will. And that's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for, uh, in Christ forgave you. Paul appeals to your will. In the Greek it says, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Something that is going on. Okay? Here, Paul takes you to the point of decision. Are you for Christ or against him? There is no neutral side with him. After all, the point about the lordship of Christ has to do with the will. So will you put aside your old man and enthrone Jesus as Lord in your heart? Or will you go on walking in filthy and smelly garments? The decision is yours. Is Christ Lord of your life or are you your own Lord? That's a decision you have to make. And of course, if you're a Christian, you will make the right decision. You will try with your life and through your life to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen?